how do you go from being a preacher to being a global guru recognized as being one of the people to look out for in the leadership space? My guest today is going to tell you how your ministry can be noticed, recognized, and affirmed in the public space um, just by taking the step of monetizing it. Let's go. Welcome to the Monetize Your Ministry Podcast. And you get a chance to interact with them. To me, that's full-time ministry. You get to serve them. You can be a tenant. You're going to be paying somebody forever. If you do not niche down, you will never be successful. You'll be so busy just trying to catch everyone and never reaching the right one. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is the truth of the matter is we're not going to die happy because tattoo diabetes is like a thief. It brings in itself and then it opens I want to provide content and things that are going to help change lives. And I simultaneously want you to, to receive a blessing from that. And embrace that calling. I believe God's blessing that stuff. God's blessing that stuff. Now here's your host, Kamon Hunt. All right, we're about to have a really fun conversation and one that's going to show you, maybe blow your mind about the possibilities for the skills, the talents, the expertise that you have. But before we get to that conversation, I want to invite you. You know what to do. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't subscribed already. Leave us a rating and a review after you're finished listening to this. And then lastly, share it because somebody needs what you're going to hear, what you're going to watch. Make sure you share it to your platform. Make sure you share it. Just text someone. Let them know they need to hear this conversation. All right. Our guest today is my friend. And when I say my friend, we go all the way back to college. In fact, we go all the way back to singing in a group. <laughs> We're not going to get there. We're not going to go far down that road. But our guest today is Pierre Quinn. He is the principal of the Cardell Group. Pierre, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Man, come on. It's always a pleasure, man, to hang out with you. So thanks for the invitation. And I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yo, so, so am I. So am I. Listen, Pierre, um, you have definitely lived out what this podcast talks about, monetizing your ministry. We'll talk about your journey a little bit. But I love to start the podcast asking all of my guests this question. What is your definition of ministry? What is ministry to you? Man, it, it's crazy that you would ask that question. I've seen the podcast several episodes, and I even wrote down that, that idea of one of the challenges that we have in this conversation is how we define ministry. Mm-hmm. For me, a simple definition, the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has allowed me to accumulate to make a difference in the lives of the people around me. For me, that's ministry. Wow. The gifts, the talents, the abilities God has allowed me to accumulate. That word right there, that, that, that word stuck out to me. Because for a lot of people, when we think about our gifts, our talents, the things I have mm-hmm. for my ministry, we think either I have it or I don't have it. But it sounds like the things that I pick up Some of them I start with, but some of them I pick up on my journey. What do you think about that? Let's let's go biblical, right? Let's look at the parable of the talents. And we always talk about the one who buried the one in the ground and the the problem behind behind that. I don't think we we spend enough time with those in the parable who took what they had. And I know the parable is about money. All right, I got it. Mm-hmm. But the, the idea of taking what you have and using it to, to build, to cultivate, to acquire something else. So when the master comes back, he praises them, not just for being good stewards of what they have, but also for going out and adding to Ooh, that total. And I think for us as just as believers, sometimes we get caught up in the idea of, you know, I see somebody like Kamon, who's, you know, great leader, great entrepreneur, good in spaces like this. And I don't naturally have that. So it's a loss. And we forget that the the growth and development process is so crucial to this thing. And a lot of things we can pick up along the way if we're willing to go down that road and actually learn them, become students and start from square one. That's good. I love that. You know, it's like that. I, I may not have it, but we can put a word after that. I mean, I have it now. I mean, yeah. I have this now. I mean, I'd be good at this now. I mean, I understand this now. But I give myself that room to grow in the process. And I think that's important for all of our listeners, all of our viewers to, to grasp that concept. So, Pierre, let's start at a place in your journey because there's, there's, there's a lot in your journey. But 
I, when I left school, we both were at um, this university called Andrews University together. Mm-hmm. I studied for pastoral ministry, and you are studying in a different field. Uh, tell our tell our viewers, our listeners, what was that field, and then talk about your transition into studying them to be a pastor. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the year. <laughs> I'll hop into the time machine, and I don't know when we first met if I was still in undergrad or if I was in, yeah, you were in undergrad school. But in undergrad, I was studying communication and a minor in public relations. And I, the thing was for me at, at, at our school, like was, I was raised a certain way in a certain culture, and that culture had a strong leaning toward pastoral ministry. Handful of friends who were headed to theological seminary, graduate, religious education after. And everybody was like, yo, just get on, man, just get on the bus. <laughs> Just get on the bus. Come on on the bus with us. Just join this thing. And I was like, no, I don't think I want to do that. I had some just a unique, a unique viewpoint on pastoral ministry explicitly because watching my pastor grow up, watching him struggle, watching him have to preach in places to earn enough money to take care of his family and the challenges of, of, of congregational leadership. And I was like, nah, I mean, I like preaching a sermon every now and then, but that, nah, that ain't, that's not for me. So, um, I mean, ultimately, long story short, I ended up in this, in the theological seminary after finishing a graduate degree in communication. Now, weren't you teaching at the school as well in the communications department? Yeah. So when I started grad school, First year into grad school, I had an opportunity to start teaching the introduction. It was a, it was a hybrid course, intro to human communication and intro to public speaking. So I, I was teaching almost full time while while a grad student. So yeah, it was crazy times, man. A lot, a lot inner. I had more hair then, and I had more energy. So it was a totally <laughs> different world. Man, so you so you go from okay communications, and by the way, I, I see a thread connecting the stuff you do. Yeah. Um, the, you've done, but like communications. Now you're 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 in the seminary, and I remember when you left and started leading. Uh, you were leading, I think, either two or three congregations. Yeah. In in an area, was was it two or three? I'm kind of yeah. Off. It was three. It was three. Yeah. My first pastoral assignment was one, and then I went from one to two about four months later, and then a year after that, I went from two to three. Man, you see, like, listen, this is, as we talk about the talents, man, you just keep adding to it, right? <laughs> you became <Yeah>. a bishop. <laughs> no, I didn't feel that way at the time. <laughs> but this is what I remember, and this is this is what I wanted to get to. I remember, one, you were very driven. I mean, you were, you were, you were, even though you were in three congregations, you were determined. And you wrote a book. I remember yeah. you wrote a book based on your experience of being a young leader. Talk yeah. about that book and why you even decided to write a book uh, and tell people the name of the book? Yeah, so many things were happening at the same time. So I realized ge- getting out of seminary, graduating. So I got two master's degrees, a master's of communication, a master's of divinity. I'm in our denominational culture. I'm what is considered a second career pastor. Mm-hmm. So in, in our denominational context, a second career pastor is simply someone who did not do undergrad in religion or theology and sort of sort of uh, caught the wave of mm-hmm. pastoral ministry later on in life. Um, 30, I got two, da- two graduate degrees, and I realized I know enough to be an apologist for my denominational context. I, I can do that, but actually leading a group of people in their context I got no notes for uh, after three years in the seminary. I got no <laughs> notes on that. Right. So the first thing that I did come on was I called, I called everybody who I was directly connected to. Uh, it, back then we weren't on LinkedIn, but you would, everybody I was connected to like a first connection or a second tier connection. Anybody who I thought was doing something notable or influential or powerful in ministry. I mean, I was just trying to get on the phone with them. For 30 minutes for an hour hey give me some insight some perspective some know-how on really how to do this thing a lot a lot of people turn me down mm. <laughs> we're not gonna name names it's not that podcast episode yeah 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 not but i started one. to realize okay there's something here on going on this journey of how to do this thing 
And at the same time I was calling people asking for insight, I started a journal just about some of my experiences. And I started sharing that with a couple of, of my friends. And they said, you know, these journal entries, I know they're for your personal development, but you should turn them into a book. Hmm. And ultimately that's what I did. The title of the book is Leading While Green, How Emerging Leaders Can Ripen Into Effective Leaders. And it, the, the foundation of the book is, is this idea of being in a seat of responsibility for the first time, a big seat of responsibility. And yes, there were only 20 members in my first church, but a big seat of responsibility for the first time and really just having no idea of what I was supposed to be doing outside of doing Bible study on Wednesday and preaching sermons on the weekend. So yeah, that's how, that's how the book came about. That's so cool, man. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you told that story. There's so many things. I love to pick stuff out of stories to make the application. Yeah. Right. So first of all, here it is. You've kind of you, you you documented your process and you allow yourself not to cap your knowledge at what you knew, but you were in, you were using your curiosity to ask other people. And so for someone out there, you may say, listen, I have some interest in the topic, but I don't know everything. I'm not an expert. Well, you can borrow other people's expertise. That's kind of the way that that you did You did that there, Pierre. Pierre. And then what I really love about this is you put. The title of the book is Leading While Green, How Emerging Leaders. And finish the rest for me. Yeah, How Emerging Leaders Can Ripen Into Effective Leaders. And there's a green banana on the cover. Yeah, yeah. It's a white book with a green banana. But think about this, right? We're talking about monetizing your ministry. You didn't say how emerging church leaders, how ministry leaders, how in the church you can you made this something where you took the principle of what you were going through in your experience leading in a church context, and you wrote a book that could be used by people in other contexts out of that. And I think that's what's so powerful about this. You saw that what was what was needed for that context was also needed for another context. Well, what was so important for me also, you know, I'm I am I'm pastoring at the time in in Kentucky and I'm, I'm, I'm in small churches. It's a challenge economically for the churches in which I lead. And I'm going on this journey, putting these materials together. And I said, I'm never going to ask, I'm never going to present my book to my church members Mm -hmm. as, as something I suggest that they buy. Because, and this came up in a couple of previous episodes, how we frame out this idea of pimping the gospel, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, yeah. the, the foundational context of pimping the gospel actually comes from the televangelist. It comes from this idea of having this super, this super platform, this elevated platform, and using your influence on your congregation to, to really finance a lavish lifestyle. So that's, that's really foundational when we talk about some of the big names and even in more re- recent history, we talk about jets and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Bentleys mm-hmm. and those things that have, that have showed up in the, in the popular news media. It, and I'm in small churches like 20, 20, 20 and 10. And I said, I never want to make my conver- congregation feel like they're in an awkward position where they have to buy something I produced just because I was their pastor. I didn't want to leverage the relationship like that. So even when I had launched the book, I did a book launch at a, at a public library in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I didn't mention it. I didn't tell my church. I didn't, I didn't even invite them. I put it out on Facebook. Now church members showed up and they support it, but I didn't, I, I was very, I was very cautious about that because I didn't want people to say, Oh, you're just trying to use your influence as a preacher to make money off a book. And, you know, that'd be kind of be your stick or you selling your mm-hmm. snake oil that way. So I, st- I strayed far away from it. <laughs> but the crazy thing about it was ultimately our our denominational circles heard about it and and started to say, hey, there's something here that we want to partner with you and do. So it ended up being in churches anyway, even, even though I was trying to avoid that. Yeah, but I, I just, you know, you, you're you making me think. I'm loving the fact that you were intentional in saying, 
I don't want to just confine this to my members. I don't want to depend on them yeah. to carry my my venture. But I want to be intentionally moving out to another space. If they want to come and support, I'm not going to stop them. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to depend on them. And I think that's just a interesting concept and just the way of you doing it that I want to just affirm. And I'm sure someone watching this now, someone listening to this, this is this is giving you some things to think about. You know, from a strategy perspective, because there's some there's some strategy behind it, too. And I, I mentioned earlier my pastor growing up. So my pastor growing up was in a space where he was leading multiple congregations as well. He was a part of in, in our denominational circles. If it's more than one church, we call it a district and a district right. usually covers a wide geographic territory. Mm-hmm. So he he had he had maybe three congregations of about 100 members or less. And he was also during the time what we would consider like the conference evangelist. So he would go from church to church and do these week long, two week long, three week long uh, weeks of prayer or evangelistic series or revivals, whatever you call them. Uh, And and part of the reason why he did that. He had a large family. Yeah. And his salary, his salary just didn't cover it all. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I remember my mom telling me stories about how there were times where people would just kind of take up a love offering for the pastor because they knew he was working so hard and he had this large family and he had maximized how his how his gift and ministry was already monetized. Mm. So if you're if you're if you're a preacher formally trained or not and you lead a congregation, your gift is already monetized. Right. If you collect a a, a salary, if you yeah. collect offering or if you were em- employees like we were and you got a check once a month or every two weeks, this. The structure is already monetizing your gifts or your mm-hmm. ministry. Mm-hmm. There's because to monetize means to earn money from to earn revenue yeah. from. Right. So as a preacher in a church, I own revenue because I'm preaching, because I'm visiting members, because I'm leading out in, in ceremonies. My gift, my ministry, my diploma is already monetized. I think we get into bristly conversations when it doesn't fit in a box that people can control or own outside of you. Mm hmm. So if I know where my pastor's going, what they're doing, how they're spending their time, I'm comfortable with that. But if I don't know or they're doing something that I can't vote on, maybe I'm a little bit uncomfortable and I'm going to start asking some questions. Now, again, this is contextual. Some of this does not happen in a congregational context where the pastor is seen more of a leader with direct control or direct Mm -hmm. guidance of a congregation. We come from a denominational context, you and I. And what that means for the listening audience is there is a structure that governs how we how we move. And 90 percent of the time we don't have a final say on anything. It is a is a board vote, an elder vote or a denominational leadership vote which at times can be challenging to the leadership influence of a minister. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you gave that context. And so with that in mind, you wrote the book. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you expected when you wrote the book, but I know what happened from my perspective. Looking, you started to become seen as an expert in leading as a young leader. I remember going to conferences and you were presenting on that. And then I know you did conferences on it. Kind of talk to us about your journey. The book started it, right? And then it expanded into a conference, I think a tour, and then another book. Kind of just talk to us about how you grew through the journey. Oh, man. So 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 many stories, man. No, how much time do we get? So we, we, <laughs> we launched Leading we, we launched leading Wild Green, and I got to add this extra context here. Man, this is such a – this is – this is a story I don't tell often. Oh, let's go. So we launched Leading Wild Green. My book is launched on a budget of $200. So this is before self-publishing and all that stuff was super popular. And all y'all out there was monetizing your editing skills and your design <laughs> skills. This is, this is we're, 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 we're talking like 2000, 2014. 
2015. So I launched the book on a, on a $200 budget. I had a $20 cover. The cover of Leading All Green was $20 on Fiverr. I paid someone maybe about 100 bucks to do a quick, fast pass read through. That's why, that's why the first draft of the book is just riddled with, with errors. I had a, <laughs> somebody did a quick read for 100 bucks, and I, the rest, I think, maybe 60, 70 bucks, 80 bucks, a layout person. And that, that was leading all green. Wow. I did not have money to, <laughs> I didn't have money to purchase copies of the books to sell it. So I pre-sold it. I love this. <laughs> and the pre-selling of the book ha- helped me cover the final production costs in those first, you know, few copies of the book. You know, a book is a $3 business card. It takes roughly $3 to print a book. But that's how I, that's how, that's how the book was published. $200 and pre-sales got me about a hundred copies that I started, started to sell. So I, I was selling them, just making posts on social, social media. And that was going for maybe about, about five or six months or so. And there was some buzz, some buzz that was just happening, happening locally in my town, because this was also important too. I wasn't just pastoring my church in in these three different towns in the town which i lived i had developed really good relationship with the church leaders with the community leaders really good relationships go out to lunch go out to dinner ask them about their family invite them to to church go visit them in their churches it wasn't just Mm one-sided so the time so when i launched something all of this goodwill and camaraderie and support had been built up so that the people and community leaders were like, you're doing something? We're here for it. This hasn't been a one-way, one-sided thing. I launched a conference, Leading Wild Green Conference. 30 people showed up in Bowling Green at Western Kentucky University. I charged $25 to be there. And I was like, this is amazing. Now, a few months before, when I was wrestling with actually finishing the book, I had stopped. I was like, I don't want to do this. This is too hard. I'm not an editor. I can't find anybody to edit the book. This is taking too long. And life got really rough for us, man. It was really rough. It was really rough. And in that rough period, I felt like God was telling me at the time, I'm just waiting on you. Yeah, I know you're doing a lot. I know you got multiple churches, tons of responsibilities, small kids, wife, all of that. But I'm just waiting on you. And when I made the commitment to no matter how difficult it was going to be to finish the project, because I felt like God gave it to me, things started to change. So fast forward, do the first conference. People are paying like signups, companies, nonprofits are sending five people, six people, three, four people. I'm like, what is going on here? Finished the first conference, half day, a couple of other people in the city uh, get, I invite to give presentations, shaking hands and we're leaving. Good day, feeling really good. And this guy, he, he kind of hangs around at the end till everyone leaves and he walks up to me. And he's crying. And he says to me, we need more people like you out here where we are and not just in the church. I know you're a preacher. I read your bio. I Googled you a little bit. I, I got it. Uh, I, I, I'm a believer too. So I know some of the stories you were telling, I know where you got them from. Wink, wink. And he said, yeah, he said, man, there, there are people out here who need messages like these, who they might not ever come to church, but they need to hear it. And they need people like you to share it with them. And that just kind of rocked me. And 2016, I'll never forget that conversation. Wow, bro, man, I got I got chills again, man, <laughs> just listening to you tell that story, because here it is: this man's in the marketplace, whatever role he has, whatever organization, recognizing that what you have, that message, 
that passion, those skills, that's ministry, does not need to be confined to a church and to a weekend experience for a few people. But everyone needs it. And I think for just someone watching this, just want to, I want you to hear that, that what you have that you may think, I need to keep it confined here. Someone's out there in the world just saying, man, someone come over here and share what you have with us because we need it. Yeah. The, the thing I tell people all the time, whatever you have, and you've had some amazing guests on the podcast, and however you're shaping what's in your hand is, is the common way we approach it. It's not for everyone, but it's for at least one. Mm-hmm. And that that is enough. Yeah. It's not for everyone. It's not for every person, but it's for at least one person. And and that's more than enough. Wow. I like that. That's that's gonna be a real. So so listen, um, we're gonna fast forward a little bit. You wrote yeah. Leading Wild Green. Yeah. And then Leading Wild Scared, I think. What's this what was the second book? Yeah. Yeah, leading while scared. How to find the courage to keep going. Right, and then I remember you did the tour. You yeah. didn't just do one conference. You did a tour. I remember, and maybe you did a tour with Leading While Green, but I remember the Leading While Scared tour because I was honored to be asked to be a part of that. And I was yeah. thinking, this guy right here is just adding to it and just multiplying. But just talk about where did you even get the idea of thinking about doing a tour? So, you know, life changed. If we fast forward, you know, I was in Kentucky, I had three congregations, I moved to the Washington DC area. And I went from pastoring an aggregate of 100 people to I mean, on the on the on the formal documents of the congregation, the, <laughs> the membership was 670, six, 670. Uh, week to week at the time when I first started, it was we had about 200 plus who were joining us in worship services every weekend. Um, I was there for about three years. By the time we left, it was closer to 400. But when I first when I first got there, it's like I've been doing this four years, so I'm not green. <laughs> right, right. But I'm scared out of my mind. <laughs> This is a different context now. I went from from South small churches to the Washington D.C. metro area. A lot of people in my in my congregation had worked for the government. They were contractors. They were military. They they worked for the police department. Totally different socioeconomic status, you know, education, all of that. Viewpoints. So so it's a, a transition for me, an adjustment period for me. And I went from being in a place where there are a handful of of leaders, depending on how you frame out that context, to a congregation that was full of people who for years had been leading on their jobs. We're talking about chiefs and supervisors and directors. And along with that, you know, church positions, you know, 50 volunteer leaders who comprise a board. And I I know I have, I know I can frame out a message or I or an idea. But can I guide, influence, coach, and navigate this new complex culture that's foreign to me? And I'm just scared out of my mind. And I said, well, the last time I started journaling, (laughs) something wild was birthed out of that experience. And if it ain't broke, let's keep it going. So I start over. I start over. I, I journal again. Now this time is 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 interesting because another story that I don't often tell. So I'm in the congregation for a couple of months, and one of the members of the congregation is is in the C-suite at a very large association. He calls me on the phone and he says, "Hey Quinn, I know you've been at the church for just a couple of months, um, but I've been on the internet. I've googled some stuff about you. I've seen a couple of YouTube videos, and we have this event." My association has this huge conference. We're looking for a breakout speaker. Our sister association is having their conference at the same time. They're looking for a keynote speaker. And I think it's you. I'd only been there a couple months. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm looking at the phone like, 
so we're talking through and he says yes the sister association they don't have a large budget budget we sponsor them what's your number i don't have a number right what's your number i'll do all of the negotiation for you i'll take care of you here's how much i'll give you to speak at my conference if you want to do it we have some deliberation back and forth i get both engagements which are actually on the same day wild story we don't have time for that one but as things are buttoning up I, I asked them on the phone. I said, I said, I just got to ask you this question. I've been a pastor of this church for three months. We hardly know each other. Like, this is, this is not, you're not inviting me to preach a sermon that you see me do every week. You're inviting me to, to address members at your national conference. Now, I didn't know how many people were going to be there, but it, you're, why, why? He said, oh, yeah, that's an easy question. It's like the Holy Spirit told me to. I said, okay. <laughs> That's the end of the conversation for, for me. So, so so it's not just me saying I have these talents, skills, gifts, abilities, interests, and I'm looking for opportunities. I think I think part of it is when you're when you're faithful to the nudge, and some of y'all get some of y'all get the still small voice. All of us don't get that. Some of y'all get the dreams, all of us don't get that. Some of us just get the nudge. When you're receptive to the nudge and honest with the nudge and you begin to go in that direction on a huge leap of faith, it's not just you finding spaces. It's people who are looking for you. Like God already prompted them. They're looking for you. They might not know they're looking for you, but when you show up in the space with what God has given to you, they're like, yeah, that's who I was looking for. So this person I barely knew on a couple of months put me on stage at his major comp 6,000 people. And then another event the, the same day at about, about 2000 people. And he's like, yeah, we're both aligned and we're just trying to follow what God is telling us to do. And wow. God is telling me to pick you for this season. Wow. And I love it. I love it. You know, it's so interesting, Pierre, Pierre, as you talk about your journey, leading while green, leading while scared, you're discovering your ministry by looking at what you're needing at different stages in your journey and yeah. recognizing that what you're needing, someone else is needing it. Mm. And sometimes we think I have to be super guru. Um, I need to be like PhD to the second power on something <laughs> before I can start talking about it. But yeah. sometimes your struggle is what qualifies you to, to have a ministry to share in something. You know, when we read, uh, I, I got to throw this tidbit in there. The, the the person who invited me, the C-suite leader that was a member of my church, actually pinned the forward to Leading While Scared. So mm -hmm. if you look that up, you'll, you'll, you'll see his name. Mm -hmm. uh, Terrence Walton is his name. What's really difficult for us or intriguing for us, when we read, we've all read popular books, right? Those big, big airport books, people famous biographies, autobiographies. And we appreciate those individuals because of their success. But we're actually drawn to their struggle. Mm. We're actually drawn to their journey of how they got there, of what they went through. And it puts being on, you know, a top earner, a billionaire, New York Times bestseller, whatever. It puts it in context for us because it helps us to align with certain values. We don't really gravitate toward people who are super successful without knowing their backstory, without knowing how they made their money, how they got to that spot. And we don't always talk about that because often we celebrate the pinnacle mm -hmm. and we celebrate the struggle, but we don't always shine highlight on that messy middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for so many of us right now, they we're in that messy middle. Like you, you're not what you were, you're not how you started, but you're not quite at your pinnacle. And we we're missing what uh, Sam Chan, Dr. Sam Chan outlines. He said, quite often we make the mistake of trying to find people who are a hundred steps ahead of us. And many times we'd be much better served finding people who are 10 steps ahead of us. Yeah. What, with whatever you're doing right now, you're 10 steps ahead of somebody and they're waiting on you 
not just to talk about the struggle you came from and the big goal that you're headed toward. They're waiting on you to give them some perspective on this messy middle while you're 10 steps ahead of ahead of them. And that's going to be so transformative for them, but it's also going to be a catalyst for you to keep going. Man, I love it. Dude, I love that. I love that. Man, just such a such a gem, such a nugget. So we're going to fast forward this and Pierre at some point. I'm just going to tell you. We're going to have to do a part two because <laughs> this stuff right here. So you made a decision. Uh, you said, is it four years ago now? Because I lose yeah, track four of years ago. four years ago to step out from congregational um, leadership and employment mm-hmm. to do what? Because I'm sure there's some people that ask the same question. Right, Pierre, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, people still, still, it's still an enigma. We have some of those conversations. So what is it, what is exactly that you do here? Yeah. 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 Uh, Honestly, when I first transitioned 2019, I did not have a clear, clear picture of what's next. I don't, I don't ever advise people to do things how I did them. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a sizable risk taker. I'm a bit of a maverick. I don't, I like knowing the rules so that I can color outside of them. It, it's a lot. It's a lot going on there. But for me, when I stepped away, I realized that congregational leadership was not. It was never intended to be a long-term space for me. I remember listening to Jamal Bryant several years ago. Jamal Bryant said something. I'm not the biggest Jamal Bryant advocate or fan or however you frame it but he said be careful of staying in a place longer than you've been assigned to be there Mm -hmm. be careful of he also said be careful of being a a minister longer than you've been assigned to ministry and he said some of us are ministering past our expiration date I got, I mean, I got a chuckle out of that at the time and just, just thinking through, it was never even choosing to go back to the seminary. I never thought that I would be a congregational pastor for my duration. Now, now it's interesting here and I don't want to get into to any trouble, but part of me does just a little bit. Let's go. When a person in our culture, come on, the culture that you and I share, when they leave local church leadership, mm-hmm. but still retain denominational leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We never place them under scrutiny for leaving their calling. Right. But when a person leaves local congregational ministry and does anything other than pastor, we put some scrutiny there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's I think that's supremely unfair. Mm-hmm. It is supremely unfair, partially because we are saying that you are only qualified to be in spaces that we control, that we govern, that we guide. Mm-hmm. And anything outside of our formulation of where you should be cannot be of God. And if so, he would have he would have told us. I think that's on one hand. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it is very hard for me to see. And I've had so many conversations, and I know you've had too, with with not just pastors but local church ministry leaders who are struggling to give their best to their local congregation at the same time fighting for their financial, emotional, and social lives. And that too is a supreme disservice. Yeah. That you, you, we ask people to give as a, a, a old hymn, I don't know, give, give of your best to the master. master. Yeah. 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 What if my best as a believer called of God, what if my best to the master is not participating in weekend services. Mm-hmm. What if that's my really, really good, <laughs> but it's not my best? Mm. 
And where have we been okay with people making a career, monetizing my theological degree to earn a paycheck to take care of my family? Where have we been okay with people monetizing their really good while missing giving to God and ultimately to the kingdom and to the community their very best? I don't even know if that answers the question. I just kind of went in. No, that no, 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 no. Listen, <laughs> listen. You, I, you can go in that direction when you when you're gonna drop them kind of nuggets right there. But tell us now. So what are you doing? What are you? Yeah. What, what are you? What are you doing? Yeah, ultimately, that's the the foundational question. So I started to to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm just gonna do, keynote speaking. I'm gonna find mm -hmm. as many keynote speaking engagements as I can. And I'm gonna use that to build out a a platform and a business. Then I realized. And part of it is pastoral nature. And part of it is, you know, teaching as well. Mm -hmm. I don't just like one-off experiences. I like seeing people grow and develop and change over time. And that was one of the cool things about being a local church pastor. You journey with people. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, 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 you see a couple and you... This, this happened recently. You do their premarital counseling and then you marry them. And uh, mm -hmm. I went back a couple of months ago to the church I used to pastor and I did the baby dedication for this couple that I did their mm -hmm. premarital counseling and did their marriage ceremony. So you journey with people. Mm -hmm. And and because I like to journey with people, I realized that I needed to start framing out longer term engagements. So I just don't do keynote speaking. There's also an executive coaching component to my business. There's also a a leadership development component to the business where we take a group of leaders and we walk with them. We teach them skills and perspectives over a longer term, three months, six months, nine months to a year and track their progress and walk with them that way. So the consultancy or the Cardo group is boutique firm is really built on three pillars, the keynote speaking, the executive and leadership coaching, and then custom leadership development programs. And you pastoring these people. Come on, let's be honest, man. This man out there. Yes. <laughs> I've had, man, there's some stories. There's some story. I, I, I got to sneak these two stories in real quick. So I was keynoting in Vegas in 2019. And this was the summer of 2019. This is a couple of months ago before we ultimately made the decision to transition out of local church leadership. So I'm, I'm doing a keynote for a conference. There's about maybe 2,000 people or so. And this is my first time to Vegas, man. I've never been to Vegas before. I called my best friend. I said, okay, man, come out and hang out in Vegas for me. So I'm not out here by myself. And he comes out and we do the keynote. They had a videographer. My good friend Evan was, was doing some video for us. We do the keynote. After the keynote, we take a shower. We walk down the strip, the Vegas strip. If you've ever been to Vegas, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So we're walking down the strip and somebody says, Hey, Pete, they're off in the distance and they yell out, hey, Pierre. And I'm like, I don't know nobody in Vegas. I I ain't got no trouble. I don't know. No. Who knows my name out right. here? And I look around. We look around. This lady is like frantically waving and we recognize her for the, from the conference. So we go over and talk to, to her. And she's just asking us about what we do and the business and, and asking asking my friends what they do. And she said, you know, I just wanted to tell you, before I read your bio, when you walked into the room and I knew you were the speaker and before they did the introduction, I looked at you and I said, that's somebody's man of God. Wow. That's somebody's pastor. And I'm glad he's here today. Bro, I'm in, I'm in Vegas. <laughs> I'm giving a closing keynote for the National Association of Court Management Professionals. And this lady on the street in Las Vegas who was at that closing keynote was like, yeah, when I first saw you, I knew you were somebody's man of God. I had so, so many experiences like that. I had a, a, a client I was working with, a financial services company. He was going through some changes in the company. The person who had hired me the previous year had been um, let go from the company and he was kind of taking over, making the arrangements. We did a session with him and his team, his core sales team. After that, we're doing a debrief and he's telling me the whole story about that section and that, that timeline in the company. And I say to him, I say to him, you know, thank you for sharing this with me. I know you haven't shared this with many people. And he says, 
Yeah, but isn't that your like calling? I said, excuse me? He said, isn't that like, isn't that your gift though? Like, aren't, aren't you set up to have these conversations with people like me who might not normally talk to anybody else, but we trust we can have this conversation with you? And so, yeah, I know you used to be a preacher, but I, I mean, I kind of see some alignment there. And, and I said, I said, you got me, man. Wow. So, so, so many, so many experiences. And yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm, I'm leadership chaplain. I'm, I'm ministering to the marketplace, people who yeah. would never come to church. And a lot of times, man, there's no chapter. There's no verse. There's not even a prayer. There is something that I learned in one of my classes in the seminary, and that is ministry of presence. Hmm. Not always having to say anything, but being there at the right time when people not just need to see you, but need to feel you. And that goes a long way. And that's, that's really, that's really what I'm doing. Yeah. Executive coaching. Yeah. Keynote speaking. Yeah. Leadership development, but the space to, to minister to people with my presence, in the times where they need it the most. I love it, man. I love it. All right, Pierre, Pierre, I got to get you out on this because we can talk forever. This is, <laughs> you are embodying what it means to monetize your ministry in the marketplace and not lose ministry while monetizing. That is, that is something I want people to hear yeah. over and over again. A lot of times people think if I'm monetizing, I'm going to lose my heart for ministry. And, and that is not the case. It's your, your, your living proof. Someone wants to do what you do, uh, speak, coach. Mm -hmm. But let's start with the speaking. Yeah. Give us just one tip for that person who has a ministry and they want to monetize it through speaking. Give us just one. You can do more than one, but just one tip. Um, what do you need to do? Yeah. One of the biggest hurdles to get over is the initial feeling of wanting to share a message. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to drive yourself silly is to assume I can speak to anybody about anything at any time. Such a dangerous concoction because it ultimately gets you nowhere. Key, key message for a key audience in a key place in their life. And you think, well, if I pick a key message and I pick a key audience and I focus on a key place in their life. So my, my central message for a long time was leading while green, you know, now a lot of it is leading while scared. My key audience is is mid-career leaders, mid-career managers, people who aren't quite at the C-suite level. And the time in their lives is personally and professionally going through a huge transition. You would think, well, there's so, the world is so big. There's 10,000 conferences, workshops, things happening around, around, the, uh, around the U.S., 10,000 uh, 10, a day. And if I pick a key message for a key audience at a key time in their lives, I'll miss so many other people. This, this analogy, it's a bit crude, but it's the best one I have right now. It's kind of like high school. Remember in high school, and I don't know how it was for you in high school. Maybe you had a different, different <laughs> high school. But in high school, if, if you didn't have a girlfriend and you was trying to, you was trying to get a girlfriend, you was just trying and you just, you just couldn't, you couldn't, you just couldn't get one for whatever reason weren't fast enough or whatever, cool enough, whatever. And then you get one. <laughs> I think I know where you're going. And it's like, when you get one, all of these people come out of nowhere. Like, yo, what? I didn't even know you were available. And they want to start talking to you. And you're like, hey, you weren't, you, you, why weren't you interested when I was looking? Well, we didn't know that you the fact that you are connected makes you attractive. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you are connected to a specific group of people with a core message, a core group of leaders and a, at, a, at a core component or core space in their timeline makes you attractive because people think, man, if he's, if he's doing, if she's doing such good work for them, I wonder if they would have an interest in talking to me or to my group. If he, if she bakes carrot cakes for, for recently transitioned veterans, I wonder if she would bake carrot cakes for, 
college graduate. So the fact that you go in a direction and you, one of your previous, it's in the preview or the intro to this, one of your guests was talking about niching down. The fact that you choose a, a direction, you choose an audience, you choose from a ministry perspective, a group of people to minister to, it automatically makes you a, a person of interest outside of that particular demographic. So I tell people, develop a key message, find a key audience to talk to, and be clear on the section of their life that you're speaking to. And watch industries and sectors and people that you never saw coming or you might not have been interested in in general, start sending you emails. I love it. I love it. By the way, as y'all can tell, this man is a great communicator. Um, Pierre, please tell people how we can get, get in contact with you, find you. The website, give us social so I can put it up on the screen here. Yeah, so the second best way to get in contact with me is actually LinkedIn. It is my social media of choice, uh, mm -hmm. linkedin.com slash n slash Pierre Quinn. There's not a lot of us out there, so you know, put Pierre Quinn into LinkedIn and, and you'll see my face and let's get connected. The best place to connect with me is actually on my website and that's Pierre C. Quinn, because there's a lot of Pierre Quinns out there apparently, but PierreCQuinn.com and uh, look forward to getting connected. I love it. Let me make sure I put the website up on here. Pierre, this has been uh, just phenomenal for me. Uh, for those who are watching this, for anyone who's going to be listening to this, this has been phenomenal. Um, you've given us not just inspiration. You've given us some some tips, some practical tips that we can take. And we can go and we can take what we have in our hand, our, our ministry. We can move it out into the marketplace so we can increase our income and our impact. Thank you for listening to the Monetize Your Ministry podcast with Kamon Hines. For more information, visit our website at www.monetizeyourministrypodcast.com That's www.monetizeyourministrypodcast.com Find us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please share this episode with someone who needs it. Let's increase our income and impact.